This is Corolla Digital. Hi, this is Adam Corolla. I want to thank you for supporting this podcast on the Corolla Digital Network. Everyone here at Corolla Digital is very proud of the shows that we put out every week and are excited about the future of our network. However, a patent troll is threatening that future by suing us. We need to fight back and beat the troll down. If we go down, all the other shows on the other networks you've grown to love are going to go down next. Visit fundanything.com forward slash patent troll to donate and find out other ways that you can help beat the patent trolls. Thank you and mahalo. Hey, everybody. It's Lynette Carolla. Check out my new show, 10th Avenue Podcast. You know my love for Bruce Springsteen. This month's episode is with Jim Rotolo. He is the host of Wild and the Innocent on E Street Radio. Fun guy. Gave us uh, some uh, peek behind the scenes with Bruce. Sat at Bruce's house. Ate a ham sandwich. And check out past episodes with Bill Rosenthal, Gary Delabate, And be sure to keep listening for great guests like Artie Lang, Bill Simmons, Joe McHale, and more. So go to 10th Avenue Podcast com or subscribe on iTunes. From Level 5 City in Glendale, it's This Week with Larry Miller. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who loves strawberries. Hi, folks, and welcome back to This Week with Larry Miller. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And you know what? It's a hot day here. It's one of those hot Southern California days. I know it's still cold in a lot of parts of the country, and... I know it's very cold in a lot of parts of the country and that it's been a crazy winter. But I'm just telling you, today is one of those days where I walked into the studio here and Colonel Jeff said, getting hot out there, isn't it? And I said, it sure is. We don't even bother to use like the century-old jokes, you know, that hot enough for you? I still don't even know what that one means, by the way. But it's very hot here and there's some good news, though, because the air conditioning has been fixed here in the studio, and that's pretty good. We've done a lot of shows, and a lot of the broadcasters have done a lot of shows with the air conditioning off. And I'm here to tell you, it is hot enough for me in there when you do that. So today, it's 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 kind of cool. It's mighty nice. And boy, once you're cool, and once you're cooled off, and once you're cheerful, that music makes you even happier. Of course, that's the Oliver Bastardo Orchestra with the Heaven Clinger Dancers featuring boy tenor Rick Mears asking the musical question, how can actors not get stage fright when everyone's telling them to break a leg? Well, you know something, Rick? That's a terrific question. And it was sent in, in fact, by Oliver. That's why he's leading the orchestra tonight. So thank you, Oliver. We, we, we thought that was a, just a dandy question. And uh, and I have something to tell you about that. First of all, yeah, why in the world for most of my life and most of my career being in show business, I thought break a leg was an awful thing to say, and that's why it was used. I thought that for, whoa, for 500 years or so, that 
people who liked you, people who liked the actors in the play, whatever the play was, would say, hey, break a leg, by way of, instead of saying good luck or do a great show, they'd say, oh, the worst thing that could happen to you was to break a leg out there. And even I didn't know that, well, you know, there are a thousand things you don't know. I just found this out a couple or three years ago that that's not what break a leg means at all. What break a leg means is to have a great show, and here's why. And I never knew this. It started in Shakespeare's day because to be called out for your own bow, that means you did so well, the audience loved you so much, you get called out after the play for another bow, your own bow, and they cheer for you. And bowing in those days, if you think of it, bowing meant you straightened one leg in front of you and you kind of curled the other leg behind you and you bowed with both hands out. And that bow was called breaking a leg because you bent the leg behind you. So to say to someone, break a leg from the start of show business forever, break a leg meant someone was telling you, do so well, you'll be called out for an extra bow, your own bow. So it doesn't mean something terrible at all. It doesn't mean to literally fall over and break your leg and where you have to shout a quick prayer as you're going down there. It means break a leg, do the best show in the world, and everyone will love you so much you'll get your own bow, and you'll do that special bow we all do at this time in the world of straightening one leg in front, holding our arms out and bowing our heads, and curling or breaking the other leg behind us. So that's one of the reasons I thought it was a terrific question of Oliver's of, oh, no, that was Rick, Rick Mears. Wow. Well, I think Oliver's terrific, too. But that question came from Rick Mears, who no doubt has already hanged himself because I gave credit to someone else. But you know what? It's a great question. And to, and to Rick, you know, yeah, how can actors not get stage fright when everyone's telling them to break a leg? Well, now you know what the real break a leg means. And it's a very smart question you asked. And I'm proud of you. And, by the way, Rick sent his own letter. He wrote this on a letter. And the reason I say that is because, as the colonel just told me to do, let's take this out there so that I can show you this. Hear that? That's me shaking the letter. It's a handwritten letter on nice stationery. And I'm just glad he did that because he knows and I know and you know that there are some things that should not be lost. There are some traditional things that should just not be lost. And one of those, by the way, well, I'll get back to that. But first, and by Sherry's Berries. That's right. Sherry's Berries is back with us, and we love them back with us because they like everyone here at Ace Broadcasting. And they like us, and we're glad of that, too. And they make berries. Well, we're called Ace Broadcasting, and their berries are aces. And was that too stupid to say? It was just a, it was up to the line of being a little stupid, but not, not so stupid. All right. In any case, they make great berries. And what they want you to do is 
that this is send something sweet to that special woman who has always been sweet to you. That's actually very true. That They wrote that, and you know what? I think that's a good idea. And if you're notorious for forgetting special occasions, well, who does that sound like? Me and the doctor and the colonel and every man listening out there. If you're notorious for forgetting special occasions, make sure you remember the sweetest day of all, Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 11th. And I know that for sure because it's printed on their ad here. But that's a good idea for Mom's Day. Sunday, May 11th, send some Sherry's Berries. And their advice, and I think it's good advice, is order giant, freshly dipped strawberries from Sherry's Berries starting at... $19.99, and that's over a 40% savings. Pretty good. And on, or, or they have another choice here, or double the berries for just $10 more. Double the berries. That sounds like something gangsters would say to each other in the 30s. You don't pay up, we're going to double your berries. But you know what? Click on the mic in the upper right corner and use my code, Larry Miller. Hey, that's pretty good, too. And that means we get some berries, too, doesn't it? Wow. Pretty neat. So these are enormous, fresh, juicy, mouth-watering berries. I can vouch for that. They're pretty good. And when they send boxes here to Ace, those are things that don't last a long time. Everything else in the refrigerator here, as you can imagine, it's about 14 guys who move in and out of the studio here, and they work on cars. And... These guys, myself included, know nothing about food. So when you find something in the refrigerator there, don't eat it. You don't want anything there. But the Sherry's berries go fast. They're dipped in white milk and dark chocolatey goodness, topped with chocolate chips, decorative swizzle, or, again, it sounds like a gangster name. Who's your boss? You know, decorative swizzle. Or nuts. You just need my code, Larry Miller. When you order. So, you know what? I, I, I bet your mouth is watering now. <laughs> well, they bet that, but I'm willing, to, I'm willing to go in on that bet. Don't wait long. Order now before this Mother's Day deal ends. That's good advice. Visit berries.com, and that's berries spelled B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot com. So it's spelled correctly. So to order, B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot com. Click on the microphone in the top right corner, type in Larry Miller, and go to berries.com. Click on the microphone and type in Larry Miller. Order today. This deal ends Friday at midnight, so make sure you order now. Wow, that's, that's up against it. I didn't know. I didn't know it was that desperate. Well, you know what, folks? Anytime you bite into a Sherry's Berry, you're going to be glad you did. And there aren't that many things you can say about that these days. And by Amazon. That's right, Amazon. Amazon Amazon.com is where you go right now, if you want, on anything you have, a computer, a a cell phone, anything at all, any kind of, any kind of, anything that opens that's electric. You can go to Amazon.com and get whatever you want, right? Wrong! No, you don't. Stop right there. Hold it right there. Grab that guy before he turns that on. What you do is you go to our Website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. You go to LarryMillerPodcast.com, 
And we have a banner that says Amazon. And we, I think it's green, by the way. No? I still haven't seen it, and I still can't remember. What color is it? Yellow? Oh, who knows? Blue? It's blue, says Colonel Jeff through the window. And I believe him, because he's always right. And you know what, though? You go to, you press our banner on LarryMillerPodcast.com to Amazon. You press our banner, and we take you. You can go to sleep. You can take a nice nap with a magazine over your face, and we will get up in the middle of the night and come running down here to the studio, and we will take you to Amazon.com. Whew. That one was a little too close. And we take you to Amazon.com, and then you'll be the happiest guy in all the land because you can get anything in the world you've ever wanted on Amazon.com, and they'll be happy because they'll send you everything you ever wanted from Amazon.com, and we'll be happy because when you do it through us, through our website, and we take you there, they'll send us a percentage of, of anything you order there. So that's a case where everyone's happy in show business. And, well, that's the way it ought to be on, well, on Amazon.com. So in any case, thanks, folks, from Sherry's Berries. Thanks, folks, from Amazon. And you know what? It, uh, I think it's a good time here, before we talk about your pen, and this is, this is a high-item news here about Jeff's broken pen, but before we do, I'm going to tell you a joke because it is the joke of the week time. That's right, joke of the week, my favorite time of the show because I love jokes and you love jokes. And these are regular jokes you can tell someone else. And you can most of the time tell them your own way. Those are what we call shaggy dog stories where you can add a bit or take out a bit, whatever sounds and feels right to you. So this is a good one, though, and uh, this was sent in. No, you found this one. That's right. I should learn more of these things. But we just read it for the first time, and uh, the colonel and I thought it was, a, it was a pretty good joke. So here it is for you. A guy calls a company and orders their five-day, five-pound weight loss program. The next day, there's a knock at the door, and there stands... Before him, a voluptuous, athletic, 19-year-old babe dressed in nothing but a pair of Nike running shoes and a sign around her neck. Wow. That's, that's pretty good, by the way. I like how they add 19. That's one of those funny things. And she's 19. Does that make it better? Okay, it's fine with me. She introduces herself as a representative of the weight loss company. The sign reads, If you can catch me, you can have me. Without a second thought, he takes off after her. He takes off like a madman. A few miles later, puffing and puffing, he finally gives up. The same girl shows up for the next four days, and the same thing happens. On the fifth day, he weighs himself and is delighted to find, that's right, he has lost the five pounds as promised. Well, that's pretty good. He calls the company... Back now, he's into it now, and he orders their five-day, ten-pound program. Whoa. The next day, there's a knock at the door. At least they knock. I like that. There's a knock at the door, and there stands the most stunning, beautiful, sexy woman he has ever seen. She is wearing nothing. She's not 19. They, they don't say that, by the way. 
She is wearing nothing but Reebok running shoes and a sign around her neck that reads, If you catch me, you can have me. Again, he is out the door like a shot after her, and this girl is in excellent shape. He tries and tries and tries, but no such luck. So for the next four days, the same routine happens with him gradually getting in better and better shape, much to his delight on the fifth day when he weighs himself. Of course, he discovers he's lost another 10 pounds, as promised. Now he's into it. He can't be talked out of it. He decides to go for broke and calls the company to order the seven-day 25-pound program. What, are you sure? asks the representative on the phone. This is our most rigorous program. Absolutely, he replies. Absolutely. I haven't felt this good in years. So once again, of course, the next day there's a knock at the door, and when he opens it, he finds a huge, muscular man standing there wearing nothing but running shoes and a sign around his neck that reads, If I catch you, you are mine. He lost 50 pounds that week. <laughs> well, that's a pretty good joke. We like that joke here, and we hope you do too. And uh, why, why not? That's, again, the great part of jokes is that they're often so silly and so wonderful. Silly is a great word. We don't, we don't applaud the word silly enough. Well, we do here on This Week with Larry Miller. So that brings us, of course to my second favorite part of the show, the Poetry Corner. That's right, the corner of poetry. The corner where we read poems. Uh, something I've always wanted to do also on a show I had just like this, where I have a chance to bring back into your life and mine the point of some beautiful poems we might not have read or ever heard of. And this is one of those today, by the great poet Robert William Service, who was born in 1874 in England, and he died in 1958. And, uh, well, he was a terrific poet in all sorts of ways and also wrote a lot of lyrics to songs. And this one is very nice, nicely created, nicely loved, and it's it's one of his... And I hope you like it, too. The Colonel and I did. It's called Home and Love. Just home and love. The words are small. Four little letters unto each. And yet you will not find in all the wide and gracious range of speech two more so tenderly complete when angels talk in heaven above I'm sure they have no words more sweet than home and love. Just home and love. It's hard to guess which of the two were best to gain. Home without love is bitterness. Love without home is often pain. Not each alone will seldom do. Somehow they travel hand and glove. If you win one, you must have two, both home and and love. And if you're if you've both, well then I'm sure you ought to sing the whole day long. It doesn't matter if you're poor with these to make divine your song. And so I praisefully repeat uh, 
When angels talk in heaven above, there are no words more simply sweet than home and love. Isn't that nice? And you know what? I think that's true. I think Robert Williams' service really hit a good note there that when he- when angels talk in heaven above, there are no words more simply sweet than home and love. Well, you're lucky if you have those. I'm lucky. I have those. And, uh, oh, by the way, Oliver Bastardo sent the poem in. Oh, and that's why we named the orchestra after him. Well, the colonel just typed that into the screen because he knows that if he doesn't, I won't be able to tell you. And so thanks, pal, and thanks, Oliver, for sending that in. You can have our orchestra anytime, as long as you can lead. In any case, though, that really is that really is a nice thought. And so it, it, it brings us to another wonderful time here of the show that means so much to me, which is, and you know what, before we do this, I want to talk about your pen. I want to talk about Jeff's pen, because this is something small in life that becomes large in a way. Not the pen. That would be frightening, wouldn't it? <laughs> it's like an... Edgar Allan Poe story, you wake up and the pen is in bed next to you. Whatever you want to do is fine with me, but not with a pen. So in any case, though, this is one of those things. Jeff found a pen here at the office, here at the studio. He lost his pen, which is a very nice way of saying someone stole it. But I'm not going to say that. So Jeff's pen disappeared and he needed a pen And he found this pen lying around. And it's not a fancy pen, and it doesn't have a name on it. We don't even know what brand it is. And it's, well, it's a ballpoint pen that has a top that clicks. And the body of it is square, which is a little odd. You know, something you don't run into in a pen so much. And he used it, and it wasn't even a pen he liked. He didn't like the shape. He didn't like the color. He didn't like the kind of ink it put out there, which was a little scratchy. It wasn't a smooth ink, like a Bic pen or something. This was a scratchy, liquidy ink. And he didn't like the pen, and he didn't like the ink, and he didn't like the way it wrote. But you know what? He used it because someone had stolen his pen, and he found this one. And he thought that was the way to go with the one he pa- the one he found. And then, sure enough, most of you can see this coming Well, the pen broke. The pen broke as pens do. And suddenly, one day, he picked it up and he's writing and it just stops writing. It's not a pen anymore. It's just a stick of matter. It's just some kind of metal thing. And it's not writing anymore. And it was broken and broken for good. And Jeff did something I think a lot of us do. Maybe... It's mostly guys. He and I were just discussing this. Is this something guys do? And what he did was he didn't throw it out. He kept it. He kept it on his desk, and he thought, you know what? I don't know why. I just found this pen after mine was stolen. I'm just going to keep saying that. But he said, you know what? I'm not going to throw this one out. I found this one, I didn't like it then, I don't like it now, and it just stopped working, but I have some kind of faith in it. I think it might just come 
back to life. And every couple of days, he'd try it, and he'd click the top, and the point would come out. And, of course, nothing. Once again, it was like like writing with a twig. Nothing was going to come out. And sure enough, though, just a day ago, a couple of days ago, he tries it again, and it's writing again. It's not only fixed, it's fixed better than ever. He still didn't like it. He didn't like the pen, didn't like the ink, didn't like the way it wrote. But he's kind of a little amazed that, how do you like that? It just came back to life. And you know what? As he just said, I've been using it forever now. I'm using it every day because I respect the way it just came back to life. I'm glad I had faith in it. And as he said, you know what? It won me over. And I think that's nice to say about a pen. It won him over. And he was mentioning that, and I've done this too. He said, for a while last year, he tried to get into pencils. That's something we all do, with, or at least think about. Say, hey, pencils, whatever happened to pencils? Because as you know, folks, if you think about it, pencils, well, long before pens were even invented, I don't mean quill pens, I mean you put in your pocket pens, Everything everyone used was a kind of a pencil. A hundred, two hundred, three hundred years ago, they had some kind of lead or some kind of ore inside a wooden container, right? And they would do that. Farmers would do that. And doctors would do it. Everybody would do it. Everyone used pencils. But we don't use them today. And if you think about it, and he thought about it, and I've thought about it, if you think about it, pencils are great. They're just, well, they're wooden things. You can always leave them on a desk. They never go away. They never stop writing. And all you have to do is sharpen them. And if you want to, you can do that old 1920s tick, you know, that uh, that, that trick where you touch it on your tongue before you write, like a newspaper man in 1920. And uh, you know what, though? He said he tried to get into pencils, but they, you know, he, he just didn't like it that much. He, he mentioned there was a friend of his, a woman who was in journalism school in Buffalo, New York, and that she told him that one of her professors there once said to her and the class, always use a pencil. When you go out on an interview, always use a pencil. And people were puzzled to hear that, and he said, never use a pen, always a pencil. And they asked why, and he said, pencils never freeze in Buffalo. And you know what? I thought that made perfect sense. That's the main point of being a reporter in a really cold place. Pencils never freeze. Pens freeze. If you're doing an interview on a street corner in Buffalo, and it's a really important interview with someone, a soldier who just came back, uh, an athlete, anything. If you're standing there with a pen and suddenly that pen freezes up in Buffalo, and it will, it just might, well, you can't write anything down. And whoever you're interviewing is going to say, this reporter's an idiot. But what you do then is, if you have a pencil, you'll never get caught about that. And it reminded me of that scene in the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe, where it's near the beginning, oh, the first 20 or 30 minutes or so, where they decide to take him out. The new Joaquin Phoenix emperor decides to take him out and ride him far away with, uh, well, five, six uh, Roman soldiers, 
and they know their job, and he knows the job, is that once they get him away, they're going to ride him all night, and in the morning, they're going to kill him. They're just going to execute him right there and get him out of the emperor's hair. And, well, it's near the beginning of the movie, and uh, it's a very good movie in parts, I thought. I thought so it was really terrific. And Russell Crowe, who does a great Roman general in that movie, and he starts, well, fighting back. And he kills all of them. And he goes, just more or less, trots over to the last one standing there who sees him do this. And the guy's, you know, close by. He's only another 20, 30 feet away. And the guy takes his sword out to fight back. But the sword has frozen in its scabbard. And Russell Crowe says to him, yeah, real soldiers like me have to worry about that. Sometimes... The sword freezes just like that. And I can, he says something else like, bet you're going to try to remember that now, won't you? But it won't do him any good because Russell Crowe, well, sends him to Never Never Land immediately because his sword is not frozen. So in any case, you know, it made us think of what are the things people used to do with just parts of their lives? For instance, uh, Colonel Jeff and I were thinking about when someone's been chopping wood, now, this is chopping wood. This is movies we see. I'm sure, you know, people still chop wood, but not a lot of them. If if you do chop wood, by the way, please send us a note to that on, at LarryMillerPodcast.com. And that's no kidding. But the truth is, not a lot of people chop wood. And every movie I've seen from, well, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, every movie always shows the guy, when he's finished with chopping wood, he slams the sword into the tree stump he was using as a table. And he just goes, wonk, and he slams it in there. And Colonel Jeff mentioned to me the reason they do that is normally it's in the ground for the same reason freezing. If you just leave the axe out, if you just leave it lying on the stump or hanging on a wall in the garage, well, the wood had moisture in it. Whatever you were chopping had liquid in it. And if you just leave the axe hanging up there or staying out on its own, it'll freeze. The metal axe head will freeze over, and you don't want that. You can't use it. It becomes useless until you defrost it again. So what you do is, as he said, you stick the axe in the ground. You wump it down, and you stick it in the ground. And that's because it doesn't freeze then. Whatever the elements are in the ground, in the dirt... They keep the axe unfrozen. And I thought, well, how do you like that? And he mentioned that in farm country where he grew up, that you do that with faucets, with every spigot, whether it's the faucet in the kitchen or whether it's the spigot outside that you normally might attach a hose to. If it's freezing out and if it's really, really cold, you turn the spigot on And leave it on, because water that moves through those pipes doesn't freeze. And if you don't turn it on, that water just sits there, and it freezes. And so your pipes will freeze up in the house and outside the house. And I thought, well, how do you like that? I didn't know that. So, you know what? Pencils never freeze in Buffalo. The frozen sword in Gladiator. Leave the axe in the ground. Leave the faucets on. And you know what? I said... Let's ask everyone listening to the show, 
what do you do? What do you know your parents or grandparents or great-grandparents used to do? Or what stories and images do you have from 100 or 200 years ago that Americans used to do that we not only don't do anymore, we don't even have any idea about? My dad, God bless him, was a lawyer, a trial lawyer, and he wore suits and white shirts every day, and he would just pill those shirts out. They would, around the collar, they would start to get, well, a little flecked. And the little tiny balls of cotton, tiny, tiny ones, were starting to collect around the top of the collar. And when my mom mentioned this to him, mentioned is a soft word for that. When she said, what in the world is wrong with you? He said, I think it helps me in court. I think it helps me on trial. Because if the jury sees my shirts are starting to fall apart, they will bond with me and they will believe me when I tell them about the client. And my mom said a different version of, that's the dumbest thing you've ever said. No one ever reacts that way. No one will remember that. And uh, she insisted that he go buy new shirts. She said, because you're going to need the new shirts, because tomorrow I throw these out. And it was much funnier and nicer when she said it, although I don't know exactly how. So in any case, what Colonel Jeff and Dr. Chris and I would like you to do is write into us at LarryMillerPodcast.com if you know something like an axe in the ground or, well, a sword in a scabbard or pencils not freezing. If you know something like that, please write us in and let us know, and I'll, and I'll tell the world about it. I'll tell everyone else because I like to learn these things, and I'll bet you some of you like to tell them. So please do that for us. And, well... That brings us now, appropriately, to the third and a half favorite part of the show for me, which is a magic movie moment. That's right. It's, it's something I, I adore thinking about and talking about because a magic movie moment is from a movie you love and that you've seen 20 or 30 times, and there is a moment in it or a scene in it or a way one or the other actor says something or the words in it that really moves you, that moves you, well, in, in, in some kind of love or anger. It gets, you, it gets you going. It's a great part of the movie. And that's why I love to call it a magic movie moment, because that moment always comes up. When you're watching that movie again, you know it's coming, and you look forward to it every time. And the movie I saw again, and must have seen it the same thing 20 or 30 times, is called A Streetcar Named Desire. And it's a great movie. It's from 1951, directed by Elia Kazan. And it has, what a cast, Marlon Brando, Vivian Lee, Kim Hunter, Carl Malden. Oh, such a great cast. And all the side character actors are just wonderful in it. And that movie, boy, oh boy, and uh, the play was written, and I think the movie script was also written by Tennessee Williams. Folks, it's a fabulous movie, and there is a magic movie moment in it. And it's different from all the others, because it's about hope, it's about finding peace, but in a very strange way, the great Vivian Lee, oh, who, who plays the sister in it, who comes in, who plays Blanche, and... She, and the time spent, the story told, 
the way all the characters reveal themselves and they all change or don't change, and the way Vivian Lee as Blanche reveals herself and just moves you so much and makes you so sad and interested. And at the end of the movie, and this isn't giving anything away, Lord, if you, if you don't know the end, you know what, just see the movie again anyway. But at the very end of the movie, when Blanche is being taken away, she didn't volunteer to do this, but she's been taken away out of their apartment. She's being taken by a doctor and a nurse who are going to take her to the local asylum. And, well, good luck trying to get out of that. And that's going to be, she starts to get angry and she starts to get sad and she starts to go a little crazy and, and move around and they take care of her and they and the doctor the doctor does a great doctor thing and reaches down and holds his arm out to her and says this this lady just needs a moment to relax here and Vivian Lee as an actress changes there she starts to calm down and she starts to look at this doctor as if he's not taking her to be tied up in an asylum, but as if he's a young beau of hers who's come to court her. And she changes and relaxes, and in her face, it's so beautiful to see. Now, it's not an ideal in life. It doesn't mean she's gotten the things she wanted. But it's a kind of love because she thanks him in, a, in an interesting way that Tennessee Williams wrote. And it's also the last line of the movie. And she takes his arm, they help her stand up, and she takes it like a young woman in those days would take the arm of a young date. And she's looking at him, and she looks a tiny bit crazy, but a great deal relaxed. She looks much better and she says to him, I've always depended upon the kindness of strangers, which is a gorgeous line in so many ways anyway. And you know what? That's how they walk out together with the music rising. The doctor's smiling, and he's an old man, but he knows he's helping her get out. And he's smiling at her, and he's looking at the door as he's walking, and she's just looking at him. She never stops looking at him as they walk out and as life changes for everyone in that apartment. But that moment to me was always a great magic movie moment. And it's a beautiful picture in so many ways. Good Lord, what a cast, what a script, what a director. And you know what, though? That moment when she discovers and changes just enough to let some hope in. Is she a little crazy? Yes. Is it going to go well for her? Who knows? Is more of that feeling going to come in? No one knows. But at that moment, she has enough of it to hope and walk out and just live in a little bit of peace. We can watch her walk out and hope and pray that she can add to that little bit of peace. And so that's my magic movie moment for this week from A Streetcar Named Desire, 1951. If you haven't seen it, please see it as soon as you can. It's a, it's a great movie.
And if you know the movie and haven't seen it in a while, see it again. You'll be just as happy. And remember, hopefully, you can feel the same bond with that wonderful, hurt woman who says, I've always depended upon the kindness of strangers. So there we are for the magic movie moment. And this makes me think, though, because, well, I love show business. I love performing on stages. I love theaters and clubs. And I love being an actor as well. I I love it very much. I love theater for acting. I love television. And I love perhaps movies most of all. And I just love it. I love being on a set. And as Colonel Jeff had mentioned, well, everyone on a set becomes like a little family for as long as you're all together. Whether you're on that set for a day or three months, everyone, all good pros, everyone on the crew and in the cast and everyone can become very tight, very good, very close, very family-like. And... There's one now I'm in, which is called Road Hard. And it was written by Adam Carolla here, whom you know, and his partner, Kevin Hench, whom I know is a great showrunner. That means a writer-producer. And they wrote it together, and they're directing it together. And you know what? I was on the set there for my first day yesterday. I'm playing a character called Baby Doll which is a fun name to say. I wasn't sure about it the first time I read it. But now he's called that by the lead character, who's Adam Carolla. He's called that Baby Doll because that's what he calls everyone, Baby Doll. And he's kind of an old-school show business type of guy, one of those fellows you really shouldn't trust a lot. But it's, it's a good part and a good movie. And you know what? This is one of those times, and uh, the colonel's going to put these up on our website and on Facebook, there were some photos taken of me. I'm wearing intentionally, part of the design of this character was, they wanted me to wear four different toupees. And well, that's fine, I can just say that. Four different toupees. But in this case, the idea was they weren't good toupees. They weren't toupees where you say, hey, what a fantastic giant helmet of hair that is. And... Yet it works for this character, so we thought you'd like... And Chris, Dr. Chris, was on set yesterday because he's filming something to help the movie, and I'm going to work with him on that as well. It's wonderful to see someone you see here every time I'm here, and there he's on the movie set, and he's working there too. And uh, he brought some pictures back. He sent a few back to Colonel Jeff of me in the toupee, and we're going to get a bunch more pictures in the other toupees. And it's just worth seeing. It's not huge, but it becomes huge. It's sort of like, well, Jeff's pen starting to work again. It's something small, but it becomes pretty big. So I couldn't wait. I don't know how people wear toupees like that for long. And I, and I mean that. You know, I'm bald. And I, I, I've worn in movies, in the movie Pros and Cons that I wrote, I wore... Uh, not a toupee, I guess. You'd call it a hairpiece. They said, you know, how about this? Put on a hairpiece. So it looked like you were losing hair, but not a ton of it. And so I wore that every day in the movie. But that wasn't hard to wear because it was just a piece, and it was light, filmy hair. And 
It just sat there. It didn't bother me all day. But these things can get to you. You put on a helmet like this of false hair, which is a huge hair. Not, it's not a hair piece. It's not a little thing of a little hair. This is a big thing. It's, it looks like from more than 10 feet away, it looks like you're wearing a ski hat. It looks, that's how complete it is. It goes over everything, right over to the top of the ears, down the neck, and you're wearing four of these. And that's why when, you know, when the scene was finished and they got the last, the last scene and they, well, as the old phrase goes, they check the gate, they make sure everything's okay. And once that's done, then I can say to the nice lady who was taking care of the hair, can we please get this off immediately? And uh, they sometimes they would start with putting tape on your head as well to hold it on. But we didn't need that after a while. It was pretty annoying. But I'm just saying that's the way it is. Well, that's the way it is to, to pay with toupees. But I'm telling you something, folks, that it reminded me again of how much fun it is to be on a set, how close you can get to people in just one day. And I'll be there again next week. And... It really is something that only happens, I think, on movie sets. That people, as well as I was just saying before that Colonel Jeff and I were talking about, that people become close on a set. And especially if you're a guy, if you're a guy actor, if you're a guy publicist, if you're a guy on the set, well, especially with actors, I know in, in my case, you can see someone, you can see one of the women working on the set, maybe in the crew. And by the way, in this case, for this part I'm in, they had three lovely young women who are intentionally, they were hired to be in bikinis or on the poolside, and then they wind up taking the bikinis off. And this was not at a suggestion, by the way. This is a part of the script. And that's part of their parts. And they're very lovely and in, in, in every way. But you know what? There was one of the young women who was working on the crew who's working on the, I think, the set design crew, or she's a grip, and she's moving everything around. And, boy, I thought she was beautiful. And not beautiful in some sort of playmate way, not beautiful in sort of a Vogue model way, which doesn't really appeal to me in for the most part. I don't know about you, but, you know, when you see them in person, I can talk to the women because they're my sisters and say, hey, you know what? This is good. We'll do this scene. Hey, if you want, you can punch me when you do this or anything at all. But just doing her work, this young woman on the crew was just killing me. It's just funny. You you think about these things. And I, and I was telling the colonel, you know, why am I even thinking about her? A, I'm married. B, I'm married. C, well, another few letters of I'm married. This is not going to happen. Nothing's, there's nothing to happen. But you still think on the drive home, wow. You know, <laughs> by the way, I had a chance to say goodbye to her when we left. And she with a big smile and said, oh, it's so nice to meet you and this and that. And we shook hands. And uh, But again, it's just in the mind. Nothing is real. It doesn't matter. And it's just knowing something is there and ma- it can make you smile. And, well, you know what? She's a very nice young woman and uh, I was glad to meet her. And I'll see you there next week, that's for sure. Along along with the three young women who are beautiful in the bikinis. But I can talk to them. And this other one, 
I, you know, I can just, it's like being in 10th grade again because you see her and just go, oh, hi. You sound like Andy Devine. Oh, hi there. And you know what, though? I wouldn't have it any other way. That's part of what making a movie is. It sounds silly, maybe, but it really is. You become a tight-knit family on the set, and then they all vanish because that's the way of show business. It really is something that always happens that way. There's an old saying about TV production that if you're on a series and it only lasts two or three episodes and the series get canceled, then at that point the old saying is you become friends forever with whoever was on that show, with the cast and the crew, and whenever you see them years later, 10, 20, 30 years later, you'll always have a big smile for each other. But that if the show goes a long time, that show runs six or seven years, and you're together all the time, you know what? You won't need, uh, you don't become friends then. And it's not, it's not about being mean, it's just that when you get to know someone that closely, and a bunch of people that closely, and a family of people that closely, well, that's as close as you need to know them. So in any case, it's been fun for me. Take a look at those pictures, and it'll be fun for you. And you and I know the same things. They are Homer is Homer, and Pluto is a planet. And remember, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, game's over and you've won. Never forget that. I never will. We'll see you here next time.